and welcome to the TPM podcast with your host Mario Gerard. This is part three of three of the podcast on microservices recorded with Vidyavara Tagarwal. If you haven't listened to part one and two, I'd highly recommend you start there. Advanced microservice topics like uh, timeout patterns, mm-hmm. retry patterns, and so on. So let's start with the timeout patterns, especially when there are uh, upstream and downstream microservices, which are kind of interdependent. We spoke about synchronous and asynchronous type of communication. How do you, how does timeout patterns come into this? So with microservices, what happens even with any service you are building? I think these patterns are applicable to any architecture. There are few which we will talk down the line, which are very specific to microservices. Then I will call it out. I think timeout is applicable to any sort of service architecture you have, whether you have SOA, service-oriented architecture, also known as monolith, or you are having microservice architecture. Whenever I am making a call to any backend systems, whether I am a consumer or I am... An API consumer of another backend API. Yes. You know, API yeah. talk to API. Yeah. Sometimes UI talk to API. And all these different integration patterns are out there. The thing is, timeout pattern plays the key role that I need to know what is my threshold and how long I am going to wait, wait for response to come back. Yep. Having said that, you cannot indefinitely wait for your API to respond or your backend to respond. That threshold is usually decided by the SLAs. Yeah. The SLA you will find when you have a thinking of owning your dependencies. Let's say I am dependent on my billing domain or my payment domain. Yeah. I need to understand their SLA that if I am sending you a Visa credit card, what is your SLA to process it? And generally, what's the time? Uh, what's the... So, in T-Mobile also and many other organizations, yeah. industry, industry standard, standard in today's two-second rule. Okay. Two-second rule means end-to-end on UI, I should see payment process, yeah, yeah. thank you, yeah. green check mark, yes. all this good stuff on UI within two seconds. Yeah. Having said that, you need maybe half a second from the back end yeah. to get the information back. Yeah. Then another yeah. half a second to call it massage, scrub if you are doing a scatter and gather and yeah. aggregator pattern as yeah. I talked about. And then bring it back to the UI. Then UI will take a few seconds, yeah. you know, a few milliseconds to, to massage yeah. and scrub and yeah. map it back yeah. based on the swagger contracts defined yeah. and then show it to the customer. But many times it does not happen. So why it does not happen? Maybe services Down. running slow. There's yeah. a hiccup on the server. Yeah. However, all these, when you start owning your dependencies, you also know their monitoring thing. That how yeah. do you monitor? What is your SLA? How fast will you respond? Yeah. What does your dependency system look like? How does your replication look like? Do you have any duplicacy available? Yeah. And all these things you will get to know, right? So in that case, if for whatever reason, I'm not getting response back, and I assume that backend tried enough from their side, yeah. then I'm going to time out and I go to the customer and say, sorry, we are not able to process your payment. Please try later. Or whatever yeah. your, you know, the business and product team Decide. has decided yeah. about the customer yeah. journey or to show yeah. them something. So in T-Mobile also, whenever we do any such thing, we always look out for such scenarios because our leadership always have given us one guidance that since T-Mobile also is into retail and care, yeah. at any given time, our customer should have a talking point. If I am a rep, and you are my customer, you are standing in front of me in the retail store yeah. and I'm doing something for you. I cannot keep looking at the screen that it's doing something. I need to tell you what exactly is happening. 
So if your payment couldn't process, we will tell you that payment is not being processed rather than the, you know, the endless spinner of death <laughs> yeah. is coming over and over and over. Yeah, yeah. And then we will also tell you, please try again. And that is where the next pattern, retry pattern come into the picture. Yeah. So Which, let's talk a little bit about the retry. So retry is self-explanatory as timeout was. In retry pattern, what happens is we assume that maybe there is a hiccup on the server or yeah. something didn't go well. Yeah. Before I really go to the UI back and failed everything, yeah. let me retry one more time. Okay. So there are multiple ways where you can put retry logic. Okay. Let's start top down UI. In that case, my call failed to backend. I send it back to the UI. UI will retry one more time by itself. Yeah. That is UI is doing it. Other thing is your API can do it. Okay. So let's say you are finding customer information from your customer domain. You are calling their backend system from the API. And now the microservice itself Will can do the retry yeah. because you still have two seconds. Yeah. Assume you are keeping one second yeah. to take data back from yeah. API to UI. Now you still have time. So you will do after every hundred second, maybe two or three retries or maybe every 250 millisecond or 500 millisecond, whatever your threshold is. Yeah. And many times you need to align, as I was saying earlier, owning your dependencies, you talk to the backend. Yeah, so you don't want to unnecessarily inundate their service with 200 That's right. calls, That's right. uh, which get multiplied into twofold or three times you're retrying. If your retry mechanism is too hot, then you're kind of hitting their service too hard. That's right. So what happened in that case, you need to hold a very a small time lag for the hiccup. Yeah. And then most of the time that service might come back. I have done this pattern in my previous work assignments and we had that uh, hiccup on the caching server. We okay. were running a cache on a VM and many times we were not able to read from the cache because VM had a hiccup. So what we did, we did the retry pattern yeah. for that. And before we really go, so what happened in case of caching is there is another pattern called cache aside. Cache aside pattern means if your cache is not available, you go and read from the backend. Yeah. So since we knew we had a cache, yeah. what we were doing is we were making sure if the system is not available, there is no heartbeat, we yeah. will retry again. Yeah. And then we go. read it. Yeah. If not, once our retry retries has been exhausted, yeah. we read three retries every 250 yeah. millisecond. If those retries of 750 millisecond has been exhausted, then we go to the backend, read the information and put it in the cache. You're saying that the microservice is making the call actually knows whether it's hitting the cache or not? Yeah. Oh, interesting, very you interesting. Need to, so what happens is you always know where you put the cache. Yeah. You know where your cache server is. You know how you are defining the key and values of the cache. Right? Got it, got There it. is a key value pair. Yeah. So if you are putting my information, let's say, and I am your customer, there should be something your key, your organization or team is aligning to that how would you declare the key for this customer? Because there are so many customers. Yeah. And then when will you expire the cache? You cannot hold my information forever. Is Makes it 30 sense. days? Yeah. Is it one day? Is it just session timeout? Yeah. So there are multiple ways of holding the cache information. So retry patterns, many times the third way of retry is that even API is not doing it, but backend is doing it. So let's say I am customer domain. Yeah. I have my database. How I am giving that information back to you from my database. I also expose the REST endpoint to you. Yeah. Now think about my database is down. But there is a hiccup on the database instance. Yeah. Now what will I do? 
should I start giving you 500, 500 back and then you implement retry logic because you are the consumer of my API and you are the provider as a microservice to your UI. Yeah. So what you do, we talked about UI, yeah. implementing retry, not a good idea. Yeah. We talked about microservice, which is consuming backend yeah. microservice. Yeah. yeah. We talked about that. Now the third is before any company or any team, which is heavily dependent on backend systems, yeah. before they do retry logic, they should always trigger and initiate a conversation with the backend team. Do you have retry pattern in place? Within your microservice itself. That's right. So if you are my API consumer and you yeah. are a microservice team for your UI, yeah. and I am customer information provider to you and my API you are consuming, yeah. then before you retry, put retry logic, you should ask me, hey, Vidya, does your team have retry logic? Yeah. So I do not do it. Now, when I receive your call, I have a retry logic in place within my microservice yeah. that I will hit my database 250 millisecond apart three times before I give you 500. Got it. Unlike I gave you 500 right away right the away. moment I received the call. Yeah. And then you said, oh, I got 500. Let me retry one more time. Oh, another 500. Let me retry one more time. Ah, now I got 200. So that team can also do it. Yeah. So there are multiple ways and there is nothing that which way is better or yeah. wrong. The only thing is that these are the ways how somebody can think yeah. and where should you shift the responsibility of it. My recommendation has always been that whichever domain owns it, since it's yeah. their product, it's better to live with the domain yeah. rather the than UI yeah. and the consumer yeah. is yeah. really implementing it. Got it, got it. That, that's a very, very interesting. Uh, next one was circuit breakers. So circuit breaker is... A very key thing and it is becoming very prominent and useful in terms of microservices. Now, again, it is self-explanatory. Many people might think that circuit breaker they heard in the electronic component thing. Yeah. So it's the exact same thing. Whenever there is some spike in the power and things go, your circuit breaker kicks in yeah. and it you know does the magic. So your electronic component doesn't go bad. Same thing happens in case of microservices or the APIs. Yeah. What happens is since in microservice architecture, there are so many moving parts. There are so many small, small services. And all these small services, when I say moving part means, think about multiple small, small wheels, yeah. which are stuck to each other yeah. in those slots and they all are moving together. Yeah, yeah. Think so like a watch, right? Want, like a watch, like exactly. A watch. I had different the same cogs, thing. Different cogs, different yes. cogs. I had the Everything same Everything has well. to work. For the Correct. second needle to go one. Uh, exactly. Yes. I had the same visual in my mind. So yeah. thank you so much for calling it out. And I'm saying it because for the people on who are listening yeah, to yeah. it. So they have a visual in mind. Right? Yeah. Now the problem with microservice architecture is if one service fails, yeah. then what happens? Yeah. Or what if my microservice or your microservice or any microservice keep calling another service, which has been constantly failing? Yeah. In this case, what happened? You are continuously making call to a service, which has been failing means your failure calls has been piling up. Yeah. In such cases, circuit breaker pattern comes very handy. There are many open source circuit breaker implementations available. If okay. any team is really looking to implement it, you do not need to hand roll the code for it. Yeah. Just search on internet. Netflix has Hystrix. Yeah. And there are many more available out there on internet, which you can take advantages of. So what it does is, as I said, it is uh, you know, inspired from the electronic component. And it is the exact same purpose. And where it is useful is when we have distributed systems. That is what microservice exactly is. Yeah. And where if you have a repetitive failure, which can lead you towards a snowball effect. 
then your failure calls are piling up and yeah. bring the entire system down it's like a denial of service attack yeah think it that way yeah you are bombarding a system which is not responding giving you 500 back and back and back right now in such cases what do we do what do we tell to our customers back to our ui or the yeah. api consumer we need to tell them hey you know what there is something wrong happened and please do not make any further calls yeah so what do you do you stop them so no further calls are coming to your system and yeah. you get time to heal many systems are supposed to design that they are self healing yeah resilient yeah you know self recoverable while your system is self recovering self healing calls has been stopped now circuit breaker also has a mechanism in it that it knows that i can make one call as and a check. test call yeah. and see to test the water if it is successful or not yeah right and there are three states in circuit breaker one is closed then open and then half open when your error starts happening your circuit breaker is open now when it is half open it can make a call to test the water yeah and if that call is successful it will let the other calls go in and when it sees that the percentage of success calls is increasing one after another then, then it will close it and that means the traffic can flow as it's supposed to be something like a load balancer load balancer you can say that something like that where, so load where, balancer also plays key role in all these things many yeah. load balancers are very smart yeah. these days they yeah. are bringing such capabilities oh, yeah. these different patterns yeah. you try time yeah. out and all yeah. these yeah. things they are adopting all these patterns and bringing it within load balancer so teams has less and less to do yeah. when they are coding yeah now, there is one more thing i want to tell for the benefit of audiences that when should you trigger circuit breaker and when you should not so circuit breaker is supposed to be kicked in when you are getting errors like 500 yeah if you are getting 400 that's not the right yes. error code when server is not responding exactly yeah because 400 is more about security yeah. your page yeah. not found yeah. Yeah. your security didn't go well so teams need to be cognizant of these error exceptions codes, error, codes error codes and all these things as yeah. you just said http error codes yeah. and to be cognizant of that do not just think circuit breaker applies to every single error yeah then it could be you know very massive for teams to triage and fix it Yeah. So they need to be cognizant what kind of error, yeah, where to put it, yeah, and then do it right. Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine, like I think more than six months ago, and we were talking about um, something like a tax service going down, right? And we were talking like, what would the customer experience look like? Supposing you are doing something like a Black Friday sale, mm-hmm. right? You have millions of customers, and one microservice somewhere is stopping to respond. at that point i think we had this conversation earlier as well do we say the order is not processed or do we just process the order and eat the tax for that particular order right we can still process the order and then tell the customer hey this is what you're going to pay without charging them tax where the company absorbs the tax just so that the order is processed right so when multiple microservices are needed to function or to render a final end page we can also ensure that if a particular microservice is not extremely crucial uh, what the customer end experience is going to be right so i think i can, I can give you one real world example so t-mobile is always up for the customer journey yeah. we are very customer focused yeah we did one initiative about the same almost something similar yeah think about it for any retail organization yeah, yeah their first objective is to collect money from the customer yeah, as early as possible yeah 
the thing is that that saves customers time yeah. customer has great experience customer got in their hand whatever yeah. they wanted yeah. and they paid the money and they are out of the store yeah. as you just called out it was not related to tax but it was related to payment yeah we decided we worked on one initiative we called it manual imprint okay think about it you walked in a store with your credit card unlike check or cash yeah. we do not take check but we yeah. take cash yeah. Yeah. in retail stores yeah you walked in retail store and for some reason yeah okay payment. which is very rare to happen yeah. my ingenico so device yeah payment device yeah. and service is down even yeah. let's say device is connected everything when is fine when you talk about a device you are talking about the physical swipe physical, machine right right swipe machine which is even reading the magnetic that card. is fine but my backend system is not okay. working for okay. whatever reason yeah yeah now what do i do the customer wants to buy new iphone yeah 1000 dollars and would i let the customer go so what we did we worked on an initiative yeah where we implemented manual imprint okay so manual imprint is that device where you put oh, yeah. the slider oh, yeah. thing the old school slider thing the yeah. old school yeah. right you put the credit card in you slide it and then you give them the receipt by hand yeah. Yeah. or if you can print the receipt you fill the information you print yeah. the receipt and then you will fill the information later on in the ui yeah that how did you do it and then that information be processed back later on. at a later point in time later point of time but because only payment was down what we did we completely designed a new ui screen for that got it that is what you were talking that how would ui look like yeah. you see yeah. and this entire initiative required entire architecture discussion many many architects yeah. domains business product wireframe yeah. team because there's some that. risk also there exactly there is some risk but you want to have the customer experience is definitely placed way above yes. the the risk factor that is there yeah, there is always trade off right yeah there is a trade off <laughs> there is a trade off but when we take credit cards and all we will make sure it's your credit card yeah and uh, credit yeah. you know identity information and yeah. all these things happen yeah. but since you mentioned that that yeah. how would ui look like i just wanted to bring that at t mobile we are very cognizant of such things we are yeah. very customer focused having product mindset yeah. we are always up to cater the needs of the customer and keep them happy yeah. so we had that initiative and if something like that go so you one microservice we are also proactive in a way that we cannot recover everything yeah then how do we do it even we did the similar thing for orders many times in talking about the domains and bounded context yeah we have a different system altogether to print the receipt okay. when order is processed yeah order is fulfilled yeah the printing of the receipt is a different domain altogether different microservice different yeah. microservice different domain for okay. us different backend okay so that publishes the event that goes to that system that system get the order information everything and, and then that sends it. us yeah. the information to print the receipt in pdf yeah So yeah. think about it, visualize it. Many people think, oh, that's too much, but that's what exactly microservice is. There are so many moving parts, and each part is so independently deployable, scalable, yeah. secure, yeah. and and well designed that when they work together, it works beautifully. So in many cases, what to talk about the same thing? How user experience will look like? Yeah. Some cases, what happened is that order got placed, everything is good, but receipt is not being printed. Got it. Yeah. Then what do we do? I am standing in front of you in the store. I paid thousand dollars. Credit card worked. Everything worked. I said, "Give me the receipt." Yeah. You are holding the bag with your iPhone, <laughs> but you don't have receipt. What do you do? Yeah. So in those cases, we again redesigned our UI. If that service fails, yeah, our API will tell the UI that Re- service failed, and we load a new screen which gives exact instruction to the retail rep that please hand write the. Yeah, yeah. The receipt, and yeah. we will take. They will take the bill book out. 
Okay. And they will hand write the receipt for you, like the old receipt. Yeah, yeah. Hand yeah. fill it. Yeah. And then what do you need? You need just the yeah. proper receipt in your hand. Maybe yeah. it's handwritten or printed. That doesn't matter. Yeah. And it will also have retry it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And if even that doesn't work, then so. To answer your question, what you were asking out of curiosity is that how does it work? Yeah. At T-Mobile, very we are very cognizant, and it takes a lot of teams to, to come really together to complete that together and yeah. just one single thing like that. Yeah. So I gave yeah. you two examples, yeah, yeah, no, the real world scenarios, yeah, yeah, where how we fix it. And this is like when you see so many teams coming together, it's also then training the sales reps, right? Oh yes, it's like a whole. Oh, you you think brought about a very good point. You brought a very good point. T-Mobile is heavily, you know, yeah. run by retail stores. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unlike many other companies who are yeah. only online. Yeah. Uh, our leadership is still investing a lot, and we are, you know, yeah, yeah, very promising about the retail stores and all. So yes, you are right. We have proper training material available for them after yeah, yeah. this and that business and product teams yeah. drive those initiatives yeah. for the training material for them that in such instances what needs to be done yeah that's why it's, it's like so many teams are involved in a small effort when you say hey when uh, your printing system does not work I want to do this a product manager comes with the idea then there are like 10 architects 30 teams involved and then you have a market go to market team there right? right it's like a pretty huge program when you it do is. something like that and the problem comes in which i face a lot many times and i hear it with teams is the timeline yeah so i am ready i'm yeah. just a ui change yeah. and i'm screaming about i can do it in two weeks yeah but i am the back and i cannot do it yeah, yeah. how do we align with those timelines yeah and that is where you know the new thing like feature toggles and feature flags and all these things come into the picture yeah because my team has velocity yeah I'm a UI team. I just need to build another new page for my single page application. Yeah. And I show that. Yeah. I'm done. I'm yeah. not going to wait for you yeah. because I have velocity now. Yeah. So I take it, but I put a feature flag that until this thing is ready, don't do it. Got it. Then in the configuration files, you will do, is this feature ready and not ready? So my code can go in the pipeline. Yeah. But it's not it's enabled. shown on the UI. It's not, it's enabled. not enabled. Exactly. It's not enabled. So we call it feature toggle or feature flags. Got it. Got it. That's interesting. The next topic was bulkheads. So bulkhead is a very interesting thing. So for people to visualize what bulkhead is, if you go to a boat, yeah. what you see is some vertical partitions, which you might think just to sit, which is right. But in the ships, bulkhead came from the ships. In the ships, what happened at the bottom, there are proper vertical boxes, like a small room-sized boxes. And that is so closed, they are not connected to each other. And there are multiple of those. So what bulkhead does, they are designed in ships to prevent the sinking. Or if water leak happen, that leak happen only in one room or one area. And it's kind it of um, segregated, segregated from the, It's yes. a segregation. Yeah. So why we are segregating it? We are segregating it for the repetition of failure yeah. or the failure cannot occur to the yeah. other system. Reducing the impact of that. Exactly. Or only that one competent fails, but that failure does not inversely affect the entire ship itself. Exactly. So if I want to put it this way, I will say that it is bulkhead pattern, especially in microservice architecture, is used to avoid faults in one part of a system, taking the entire system down. So wherever fault happened, you lock it down and then that's it. So it doesn't propagate further. Yeah. And that it is used mainly to segregate resources. If that fault happened, then what will you do? Your entire system may go down. So let me give you one real life example yeah. of this where we applied very recently the bulkhead pattern. For one of the domain services, 
we already have set of microservices available and we were building the new capability. The new capability, let's say, hypothetically, you have some sort of services, get, post, put, delete, whatever. Yeah. And now in the same microservice, your domain capability is aligned with the same thing, that it's billing or payment or whatever. But you are doing a more rigorous or more resource intensive action. You need to build an API for that. What it could be, uh, for example, think about a bulk processor. You are doing some sort of bulk processing. Yeah, Let's some kind are, of job which some is... Some kind of job. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's a bulk processor, yeah. right? So you are processing payments. Let's say you collected payment the whole day. Microservice is going one by one, call happening, load balancer is diverting it. Your payment is being yeah. processed. But since it is payment, in the payment capability, you need to put a bulk processor, which will take all the jobs in the last 24 hours. Aggregate it. And then aggregate in and do something. Yeah, yeah. Now you happily said, oh, it's a payment. Let me put this bulk processor in the payment service itself. Yeah. I hope everybody can visualize what we are talking here. And I'm giving a real world example, yeah. which we solved using bulkhead. Yeah. Now this is the scenario. Now I talked about bounded context. Yeah. I only talked about business capability. Yes. And this bulk processing of payment fits in the exact payment microservice. Yeah. Now what will you do? You are going to write it in the same controller. Yeah. Where all other get, put, post, delete, yeah. Yeah. credit card payment processing all happening. Yeah. Now think about it this way. Now, if this bulk processing thing takes bring, longer, got stuck somewhere. Brings down the entire system. Brings down the entire Because supposing system. you're aggregating, I want exactly. to run a yearly, year-to-date revenue report. One parameter changed, your yes. entire container can go down. Yes. So it means you will contaminate entire container. Then what will happen to the regular business where yeah. person is coming to the store, selecting yeah. the card, collecting yeah. payment, making online payment, yeah. calling care channel and making yeah. payment and all. So yeah. what we did. We, few folks, get into a room together, we discuss the scenario, and we came up with the exact same thing. That if we do it, and there is an issue, it got stuck on one thing, yeah. and we did not say, okay, if this entry is failing for whatever reason, yeah. skip it, yeah. or retry it, and go to next. What if yeah. it is stuck there only? Yeah. Keep retrying, keep retrying, keep retrying. You can flood the system. Exactly. And then, entire thread will be get logged. Everything is consumed in that container. Yeah. Then you are bringing the entire payment service down. Yeah. So what we decided, we said, okay, it is still belongs to payment, but it's a bulk processing thing. Let's put it in a separate container. So we have a separate repo where all the bulk processors are. We will put it there. We will name it properly. And then we host it in a separate container. If you are not in a container, maybe VM, put it in a yeah. separate VM. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah. are serverless, put it in a separate process. Whatever you do, consider deploying them into separate virtual machine, container, process, Lambda, Azure function, whatever yeah. you have. So, so that is what exactly the bulkhead is. And I gave you the scenario as well. So the idea is that you do not let an offline processing system, for example, or a, or a separate processing which does not which is not part of the regular live processing which the customer needs are where that's coming versus something which is doing some heavy work. That's you right. kind of segregate it into two separate buckets that's or right. two separate microservices that's almost, right. uh, which might be within the same domain, but two separate services so that it does not take down live processing. Exactly. So if there is a component one, which yeah. starts hanging yeah. and you are building component two, yeah. then component one hanging should not impact the functionality of component two. So in such scenarios, people need to be a little bit more, you know, cognizant and think a little bit far yeah. in advance yeah. that what can go wrong with this thing. Yeah. And when you think about this reactive way and a little bit defensive about your, 
you know architectural thinking and yeah. design patterns and what can go wrong yeah. and service availability because at T-Mobile we also believe in something called always on time okay so always on time means that whatever we have is always working it's always up and running yeah so these are very key design principles for architects and all other people who have impact on the technical designs that whatever we design we think through all these things got it and then we really work on it so i gave you one real example yeah, of bulkhead yeah. service that's fantastic and i think when we talk about uh, patterns and designing microservices i think the last thing which we wanted to talk about is how effectively we monitor our applica- microservice applications and uh, i think with monitoring also comes troubleshooting right so um, how do we uh, generally what are the good practices to monitor uh, your uh, microservices for many teams monitoring could be a little bit challenging because yeah. what happens there are so many moving parts but the beauty is that you do not need to monitor everything if every microservice team whichever you are building and owning yeah you only monitor your stuff yes and then there are if you are logging it for example splunk yeah then there are different you can see the traffic going in live traffic as well and if in your customer journey you are making four or five api calls to different domains you can see what all call fail what all call becomes successful yeah. but at the end for a proper ui where you are talking to maybe five ten different microservices or domains for you what matters is whatever api calls are being made yeah. if all your apis which is let's say 15 apis owned by three teams yeah. means five microservices each team yeah right if all the apis are being monitored and you have proper api dashboards yeah and based on and the triggering mechanism exactly and based on the threshold yeah. when my api failed let's say 1 in 100 yeah that's okay yeah. but now it's failing 20 in 100 yeah. 10 in 100 whatever threshold yeah. your yeah. Team, percentile percentile yeah. then you do the you know trigger a message in the slack channel so at t mobile we have all these things yeah yeah so this is another the, as i said we have a principle called uh, always on yeah. we have another thing called work flawlessly So in order to be always on and work flawlessly we are very cognizant and aware that whatever we are building how do we monitor it so yeah. we have various api health dashboards in place yeah where we consistently monitor all the apis all the backend systems yeah and we try to gauge it ahead of time yeah. even the response time we have yeah even api might not be failing but the yeah. response time is going slow yeah. slow yeah. slow yeah. and that is now at the yeah. edge that it's supposed to fail now yeah maybe server resources yeah. are being consumed yeah yeah so whatever what i have seen is normally uh, latency 95 percentile of your uh, latency is that you know you say 200 milliseconds is my benchmark so if 95% of my calls are below 200 milliseconds don't page me if it goes about 200 That's milliseconds right. give me a cell 3 or a cell 4 That's page right. that somebody can go and look into what what yeah. happens so there's latency based uh, triggering then there's um, number of calls if the number of calls go exponentially high for some reason there's a rogue client somewhere yeah, exactly. which which is making you know 200 calls every second you know somebody release some you know third party app which is making multiple calls which you know increases that then you have uh, cpu utilization goes up for some reason there's a memory leak because a new application was deployed or cpu memory those kind of you know triggering mechanisms so there are i think various types of monitoring statistics which you know you mon- right. use to monitor your microservice and all these monitoring you have set organizational wide threshold which you are trying to set so that your on call right. rotation that your application is always up and running yes 
to ensure that the application is always running, you have five or six types of thresholds. And then you also organization, you say, hey, if my memory utilization is too high, give me a SEV3 page instead of SEV4 page, That's right. right? So you set this up in a from a organization level, not from a microservice, microservice level, so that you know you have some architects who say, this is a pattern we want to follow for all our microservice applications so that each team is not trying to figure out what the right thing is. Exactly. Uh, you try to do a standardized approach right. to do uh, better monitoring across all your microservices, right? You said so, it just right, and that's where the organizational culture yeah. plays the key role because once you set these standards, every team is supposed to apply those. Yeah. So cool. I think I think we uh, did a very good job, uh, you know, talking about microservices. So uh, thanks for this uh, fantastic conversation. I think uh, we covered a, a good deal of things for uh, our listeners. Do you have anything to add? No, thank you, Mario. Thank you for having me. I hope listeners enjoyed it and they will be benefited with this information. I tried to bring a lot of real world scenarios yeah, yeah. from various organizations yeah, I yeah. have worked. And uh, microservice is certainly great stuff. If you are not even building it, yeah, still try to learn it. it it's fun. It's yeah. not very different from SOA, what many people are doing. Yeah. And yeah. once again, thank you for having me. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed it. Thank, thank you, so, you much. so much. Thank you so much for your time today. There you go, my friends. This is the end of the three-part microservices podcast recorded with Vidya. I hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast as much as I enjoyed chatting with him. Do stay tuned for more podcasts coming your way. 